0: Can I welcome you to our uh, worship uh, following on from uh, Owen's welcome and we trust that we'll know the Lord's blessing with us the short while we are gathered here uh, this morning in very unusual uh, circumstances. But again, as Owen said, we thank the Lord for the technology that makes it possible for us, uh, even though we're not gathered together that we can share together in the Word of God. I'd like us to read from Psalm 85 together. Uh, I want to look at this psalm uh, this morning and this afternoon, all being well. And I'd like to read it from verse 1 to verse 7. We'll look at the first seven verses uh, this morning. So Psalm 85 to the choirmaster, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your, uh, from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Just before we look at these words, let's bow our heads in prayer together. Lord our God, our desire is that you would open our hearts to receive your word. We pray, Lord, that you would send forth your light and your truth to be our guides, that uh, your glory would be shown shone into our hearts, the light of the glory of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us a hearing ear and bless your word to your own glory. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, we've been hearing over the past few weeks uh, from Sinclair uh, the Advent series, and it's a very appropriate, a very appropriate, obviously for uh, the message of the birth of Christ and the miraculous. One of the most, if not the most, miraculous events in the history of the world, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard of the humans involved in that dramatic. Uh, occurrence, and we've heard of God's sovereign involvement in all that took place there. And we can only bow with reverence, Uh, is that not the case, as we take in the significance of all that happened, as a song puts it, long time ago in Bethlehem. We bow with reverence, that's all we can do, we worship God, we join even with the angels, the heavenly host, as they in the past 2,000 years ago attributed glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. We thank God the Father at this time of year. At the end of another year, we thank him for his gift of Jesus, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the one who was promised so long, long ago. And we thank God the Father for his, his gift of Jesus. And we thank the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Spirit who mysteriously and miraculously fulfilled the prophetic word, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And his name was to be called Jesus, yes, but also Emmanuel, God with us. And we believe, as the people of God today, that God is still with his church, his ecclesia, his called out ones. And my dear friends, just as he was with his people many years ago, he is still with us today. But we have to have our eyes open to see that and to believe that God will never leave nor abandon his people. Now, we've read these first few verses of Psalm 85, and this uh, morning, for a short time, I'd like us to look at these verses. And as we approach the end of another calendar year, I think it can be very edifying for us, just as the first words of this psalm seem to suggest to reflect back on what has happened in our past. We don't need to limit it to the past 12 months, But as we come to the end of our 12-month period, yet again, surely we can say with the psalmist, Lord, you were favorable to your land, to his people. And what we have to do in reflection is to do it with God in perspective. It's very uh, unhelpful very often to look to our past and just be nostalgic for the sake of being nostalgic. There are many, very good memories we have from the past, which we uh, like to, do- to dwell on as people very often say the good old days. But when God, when we bring God into perspective, when we look back, we have to admit the favor of God in all that has taken place. These, were exa- these are examples for us, as the Apostle Paul makes it very clear to us. These things, in First Corinthians chapter 10, Paul reminds us that everything that is recorded for us in the Old Testament scriptures, in the experience of God's people, took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So we learn from our own mistakes, and we learn from the mistakes of the historical people of God from the Old Testament scriptures. So when we look back at 2020, I'm sure that most of us will remember it as the year of the coronavirus, COVID-19. It's been very much to the fore. There are very many other things uh, for what we can uh, thank God and remember as the year that has gone past, uh, it's not that everybody's had a good year necessarily we've all had at this challenge in god's providence before us but thankfully there is real hope of healing in terms of the coronavirus uh, it's very uh, difficult not to use it as a, a metaphor if you like for the cure the remedy for sin that god has uh, prepared for us in the lord Jesus Christ, and we thank God that in his providence, healing is on the horizon in the form of a vaccine. There are other things that have been taking place in our own uh, United Kingdom, for example, Brexit negotiations seem to have ended on a positive note, a deal, can we call it, a covenant, because it is in covenant language that the psalmist is speaking here for us. Yes, it can also be distressing to reflect on hardships endured, losses experienced, as Owen mentioned in his prayer, various individual experiences that you might have that, and you might not be able to say that it's been a good year for us. But in the the reality of things, God has been faithful. God has been patient with us. God has been forbearing. And looking back, yes, we can have a negative connotation in the sense of longing nostalgically for things that have happened. Remember Lot's wife. She was looking back for the wrong reason, absolutely the wrong reason. But what have we learned about God in our personal experience of 2020? Can we acknowledge him, as the word exhorts us to do. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct you in all your ways. Have we been acknowledging God over the past 12 months? Well, Psalm 85 begins on a very positive note. Its author is unnamed, but it is uh, attributed to the sons of Korah, who were doorkeepers at the temple. Uh, They were officials with various administrative uh, responsibilities. They weren't just uh, simple, working people. They weren't in a humble position. Doorkeepers in the Old Testament time, uh, at tem- in temple times, were officers of the temple. Now, this psalm is uh, it's, uh, considered to be uh, post-exilic in its uh, in his time of, of writing, it's considered to be uh, after the children of Israel were restored uh, from the Babylonian captivity, and this uh, it's uh, very clear from verse one in the second line of verse one that a, re- a mention of restoration is being made by the psalmist. It's a psalm that. Yes, it looks back at the past in the best of ways, yet the psalm is a very clear acknowledgement of the mistakes that the children of Israel had done in the past. They don't, the psalmist doesn't deny that things had been bad, and despite that, God had been faithful in spite of his people's continuing errant ways. And thankfully, the psalm is not just a psalm of the past. It's not just thinking of the past. This is a psalm which uh, looks at, if you like, the future. With a standing in the present, the psalmist is looking back, but also looking positively towards the future. And we'll see that all being well later on. It's a, a psalm which is very, very helpful for us in this time. I want to look at it in these ways, uh, a psalm of the past and a psalm of the future, reflecting on the past, now, the present, as the psalmist did in his area, and looking to the future from verse 8 downwards, time permitting. Now, I want to look at these first seven verses splitting them in in two sections. First of all, verses 1 to 3. And we might spend more time on the first three verses of the psalm than on verses 4 to 7. But verses 1 to 3 is the beginning of a prayer acknowledging the goodness of God in the past. This is very obvious. It's a prayer acknowledging the goodness of God in the past. And what the psalmist is bringing to light here is it speaks of God's covenant faithfulness to his people in their history. In spite of all the misdemeanors, all the rebellion, and all the idolatry that had taken place, he punished them by uh, putting them into captivity uh, in Babylon for 70 years. And the psalmist says, in spite of all that, you were favorable to your land the land that uh, the people were living in. This is a very significant aspect of the Old Testament history of God's people. And, of course, this is uh, brought forward to us in gospel terms by the promised land. This is where God's people are ultimately going to be brought to through the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it not clear, then, uh, from those words that we have a reference to the biblical teaching of very much gospel doctrine. Just look at what it says in verse 2, verses 2 and 3. You forgave the iniquity of your people. Forgiveness. There is forgiveness. You covered all their sin. Isn't it amazing that here we have a, a, a reference to what we might call atonement? for the sin of the people. And in verse 3, he says, you withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. So there is sins forgiven, sins covered, and anger turned away. Now, we are still here by God's grace, despite many failures and shortcomings on our part. These words uh, in verses uh, 2 and 3 are speaking of uh, forgiveness and atonement and uh, propitiation, the, the removal of God's just anger against his people. Now, this was typified in Old Testament times by the shedding of blood, by the sacrifices that were offered to God that sin might not be counted against them. You remember on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the the high priest went into the the holiest of holies to offer offer blood, the blood of sacrifice, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Well, perhaps uh, just taking it back to ordinary uh, circumstances for us, as I mentioned already, it's been a a very trying year for us. Uh, The coronavirus pandemic has spread far and wide, And we have to look at it as a a providence uh, permitted by the sovereign God and for us to see that that is the case. These things happen because God allows them to happen. We may not know the answer as to why this is the case, but it's a challenge for us to see that we are perhaps to a large extent so powerless against these things. And how much more... uh, powerless we are against the spiritual realm the the Philistines that we were reading of in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the spiritual realm which Paul speaks of in the 6th chapter of Ephesians that our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood but against powers. Well, As an individual, you will have had your own take on this past year. And it was an amazing thing for the psalmist to speak uh, of the Lord covering all their sin and withdrawing all his wrath. This seems to be the most important trait, uh, the most important strand that he finds in the history of the people of God. Now, there are many things that we can point to, lay our hands on as incidents in our lives. There have been many distresses and there have been many sadnesses. There have been gladnesses, no doubt. There have been reasons for our rejoicing. The birth of a child, for example. Some new relationship formed, for example. But there have been sadnesses as well. The loss of loved ones. The difficulties uh, that accrue because of... uh, Things that happen the, the the what we might call the cross providences of God, but at the back of a, of that the the background, if you like, of all that is god 's canvas, if you like, of painting with the different colors, and yet in it all, there is a beautiful picture being drawn out from it by the Lord himself and his providence. The Lord Jesus Christ was and has been for his people the sin coverer. It's his blood that cleanses us from all our sins. And the divine anger has been uh, taken up by him. This uh, atonement that is so valuable for us in our gospel uh, message and also the atonement for sin. Uh, the propitiation, rather, for sin that Jesus has taken to Himself the wrath of God, and we sp- we hear about this in verse three of this psalm You withdrew all your wrath; you turned from your hot anger. It's a very expressive terms used in the original Hebrew here, talking about the nature of God and His abhorrence of sin. And that is what the gospel is all about. We have to, uh, I remember an uncle of mine, he used to, to speak about, well, I'm saved. Yes, you're saved, but what are you saved from? And this is what is important for us. Yes, I'm saved, but I'm saved from sin and its consequences. I'm saved from the righteous judgment of God against my sin because someone else has taken my place. As the hymn writer says, in my place condemned he stood. You know, it's an amazing thing that uh, Horatius Spafford wrote in his, in his hymn, that famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. See what he says here in verse 2, what the psalmist says in verse 2 and 3. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You covered, you withdrew all your wrath. My sin, says Spafford, O oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. O oh, my soul. And there is a sense of thankfulness and gratitude and praise and worship coming through in these few words in Psalm 85. Some of us are interested in, uh, in astronomy, space travel, and so on. One of the things that always uh, takes up my intrigue is when uh, spacecraft with astronauts are returning to Earth. the the spacecraft cannot come through the Earth's atmosphere without having what's known as a heat shield. And without that heat shield on the spacecraft, the uh, the, the, the craft is going to burn up, and all who are in it will perish, as we've seen historically not that long ago. So Jesus is our heat shield. He is the one who takes the divine anger, the heat of God's wrath for us. And he did that on the cross. You took away, you withdrew all your wrath. It's not as if God switched off his anger. He cannot do that against sin. It has to be born somewhere. And here is where it was born. On the cross. And unless... We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is pointed to here in these words. Unless we trust in him, unless we have faith in this Jesus Christ, John 3.16, a very, very well-known verse, if not the best-known verses from the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish should not perish. There's a risk of perishing, of burning up, because there is no protection from the righteous anger of God against sin. And what we also have to remember is the importance of this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the importance of trust in the covenant God. And that is what the psalmist Continues to do, to ask God to, for restoration, for seeing that there is no way out for them, but to trust in God. So unless we have faith in this Jesus, we're under his wrath, we're under judgment, we're exposed, plummeting, as it were, in a spacecraft without anything to protect us from the friction of Earth's atmosphere and get burnt up. Whoever, says John at the end of John 3, whoever believes in the Son, Jesus, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Here we have the New Testament speaking clearly of this relationship that God has without uh, two sins unforgiven. Lord, says the psalmist, who shall stand... If you should mark iniquity. And we read in the book of Hebrews, rem- being reminded, the writer to the Hebrews reminding uh, the Jews that our God is still a consuming fire in his relationship to sin. But we thank God that he is favorable. You were favorable, and he remained favorable even at that time when the psalmist was writing these words the writer of Lamentations, whom we believe to be Jeremiah. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Here's a question for me and for us all. The Lord is asking us, who has been your protection from God's condemnation in the past? In the past year even, even now, where are you standing? We've read in the first book of Samuel, in the seventh chapter, uh, a time when the ark had been absent from from the children of Israel. It had been away and uh, symbolizing the presence of the Lord with them. The ark had been returned from Kiriath Jearim, as Oden read for us to the house of Abinadab. And Samuel challenged the people to turn away from godlessness, to turn away from idolatry and unfaithfulness to the covenant God. And we see the the classic enemies of the children of Israel in Old Testament scripture, amongst others, but the Philistines were always around seeking to uh, do away with anything to do with Israel and their God and they were in that in the context of that chapter we read, they were lurking in the background, and the Israelites cried to, the, to Samuel, "Keep on." keep on speaking to God for us. It's asking for intercession. Keep on interceding on our behalf for deliverance from the Philistines. And what did Samuel do? Well, the first thing he did was he sacrificed a lamb, a newborn lamb. Does that not bring us to the meaning of, the real meaning of Christmas? A lamb was born. By God. A lamb was born for us, the lamb who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read uh, here that after he had done that, uh, it was a burnt offering to the Lord, a pointer to the bearer of our sins, the burning wrath of God, as it were. So, uh, uh, Jesus, the lamb, being the subject of that. And he also, Samuel, cried to the Lord for Israel. And what did the Lord do? The Lord answered him and defeated the Philistine. Here we have in this context, I think, Samuel is a type of Christ as our go-between, as the one who interceded for, his, for the people, the children of God. And later on in the chapter, and this is what's important, Samuel erected in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 7, A verse which will be very well known to those of us who know our Bibles. A stone of remembrance to the Lord. Ebenezer. Till now, the Lord has helped us. Surely we can say that right now in 2020, on the threshold of 2021, that the Lord has helped us, regardless of all the difficulties that we may have experienced as individuals, as a congregation. The Lord has helped us, and the Lord promises to be helpful to us, but we must be obedient to him, trusting in him. The obedience of faith has to be exercised. Well-known uh, historical individual in the church, uh, J. Hudson Taylor, the founder of Africa Inland Mission, is reputed to have had a plaque, a plaque on the wall of of his house, I'm not sure if the plaque followed him wherever he went to reside. But in everywhere he stayed, apparently, he had a plaque with the inscription, Ebenezer and Yahweh Yireh. Till now, the Lord has helped us, and he will continue to provide for us. So that's what we have to do, not just looking to the past, but also using the past as an example for taking the Lord at his word and being obedient to him. And what we read uh, at the end of First Samuel 7, when uh, Samuel got back to Ramah, we read about him there that he built an altar to the Lord. And that's what we have to do. Worship of God from now on was to be the people's priority continuing the worship of God. God, in the midst of us, uh, uh, promises to dwell. And we thank you that at Christmas, God with us is so much to the fore in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just look at the last uh, verses 4 to 7 briefly before we come to an end. This is uh, a prayer to God for uh, restoration and revival, whereas uh, the first few verses were a prayer acknowledging the goodness of God in the past. Now that's what we have to do as well to keep on praying, entreating God that He will restore us. We can't say that we've we're there, we've reached the zenith of our Christian pilgrimage, far from it. There is so much need in our own lives, so much that we fall short of. I'm aware of that at a personal level, and I'm sure you can witness to your own uh, experience of not being as faithful to God in your life as you might be. There seems to be in the conscience of the psalmist at this point in verse uh, verse 4, uh, a continued sense of what you might call God's frown on his people. Restore us again. We need uh, the continuing ministrations of your presence with us, O oh Lord, in order that we will live for you. Now, there seems to be a, a lot of emphasis in verses 4 to 7 uh, on God's anger here. Put away your your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Where is the joy of the Lord? Well, when there is a sense of God's disfavor because of errant ways, well, there is going to be no joy. It's going to be heavy-heartedness. But what God wants of us is to rejoice. And this is what the psalmist is entreating God. Restore us, O God of our salvation. A, a collective entreaty to God to come back and be favorable and give them the strength that they cannot uh, muster up in, on their own from themselves so there is this continuing collective plea to god for restoration to cease from his indignation and anger and the, the psalmist maybe has in mind this truth that the writer to the hebrews had in mind let's not fall back into these idolatrous ways because you know our god is a consuming fire we cannot take god for granted we cannot trifle with the God who is of purer eye than to look upon sin. And there seems to be this series of rhetorical questions. Will you be angry forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Question, question, what are you going to do, Lord? Where are you? Speak to us. And that is what the psalmist wants to do as we'll hopefully look later on this afternoon. So this, these first few verses of Psalm 85 speak, speak of a prayer to God, acknowledging his goodness and all that he had done, forgiveness, covering of sins, atonement. And surely that's where we have to be, my dear friends, on the threshold of another year. If we're honest, we've not been as faithful as we ought to have been. But God has been faithful. God remains faithful to us in spite of our sins. The psalmist in Psalm 103 makes that very clear uh, when, when he's speaking of the forgiveness of sins and the desert of his people. God has not been dealing with them as they deserve because of their sinfulness. Such pity as a father has to his children dear. Such pity shows the Lord to such as worship him in fear. The Lord is pitiful. He doesn't remember or uh, mark our sins against us. He is a God who is a forgiving For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. And as far as east is from the west, so far, does he remove our transgression from us? He knows our weakness. He knows our frailness. So just to bring this to a conclusion. In the past, God has been faithful. We acknowledge that. Lord, you've been good to us over 2020. We are still here on mercy's ground. The gospel is open. The the gospel message is there for us if we haven't already received it and embraced the Lord Jesus Christ to us. So what the children of Israel are now needing is a guarantee of the continued faithfulness of God. Restore us. Show us your steadfast love. O oh Lord, now I like these words in verse seven. I think they're beautiful words. show us your steadfast love, O oh Lord. show us reveal to us, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your word. Show us the way in which we ought to walk. And that way is represented, personified in the steadfast love of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him, he will grant us his salvation. He will save us from our sins. He will strengthen us for the rest of the way. And ultimately, he will bring us to glory. We need the Lord to address our deficiencies now and prepare us for service for the future as individuals and as a congregation. Lord, we need you. Without you, we are helpless. And the Lord Jesus himself reminded his disciples that without me, you can do nothing. But as Paul says, we can do all things through him who is our strength, who strengthens us and This part of the prayer ends and the answer from above is awaited. In verse 8, it starts, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. Well, God willing, may we hear what God the Lord will speak as he instructs us through these last verses of this psalm later this afternoon. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel message that comes through the Old Testament scriptures, clearly pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your favor towards us. Bless us now, and may we learn the things that you want us to learn to your glory through Jesus our Savior. Amen.